Welcome to the EPP podcast on the future of artificial intelligence. Today we're looking at the big issue of AI and data, so keep listening. It's often said that data is the new oil, but that doesn't quite do it justice because although data is indeed the driving force behind so much innovation, particularly in artificial intelligence, there are many different sorts of data. From commercial data to personal data, big open source public data to metadata and how it's mined, managed and made useful has a huge impact on how successful the resulting AI programs will be. Getting access to the various types of data is also a challenge that could potentially be overcome by EU guidelines, but at the same time, data does flow freely globally and Europe cannot afford to become a walled garden. The European Commission recently set out its AI proposals taking a risk-based approach, and last year Digital Commissioner Thierry Breton set out his vision for the EU to become a world leader in sharing commercially useful data to drive innovation across the bloc. These lofty ambitions are indeed a step in the right direction, but there remain a lot of thorny issues to be ironed out. On the 15th of April, the EPP Data Summit addressed these challenges and opportunities and, of course, the issue is much discussed in the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in a Digital Age, known as AIDA. Next, I'll be talking to three MEPs with a special interest in the topic. Keep listening. So today I'm joined by MEPs Eva Maidel and here with me in the studio Angelica Niebler and Christian Erler. Thank you very much all three for joining. We're going to talk today about AI and the importance of artificial intelligence to the future of Europe but specifically with regard to data. So in order to become these intelligent algorithmic systems, they need data to learn from. They can't learn in a vacuum. So how important is it that the sorts of data that they could learn from is shared fairly across the EU? Are there competition areas that we need to think about? Are we hear about network effects? Uh, Angelica, let me ask you first your thoughts on that. Well, actually, the more data uh, we have, the more data are available, uh, the more intelligence algorithmic uh, systems can work. So I think it's crucial. And for that, I think it's very important that we build up data spaces in Europe. So we are still in a situation that we have a lot of data silos, national data silos. We have a lot of data being stored and processed uh, by public authorities, which are not open to everybody, which are not used right now. And for that, I think it's really important that we open these silos, that we create these data spaces. And that's exactly the proposal of the Data Governance Act, where I have the privilege to work on right now. So I hope with that piece of legislation where we try to promote data sharing in the European Union by um, allowing um, uh, that uh, uh, neutral third uh, parties, data intermediaries are going to be established, um, that we will create these data spaces which are needed for really boosting also AI uh, technologies in the European Union. So this is the sort of open data we talk about, Christian, the sort of in the public interest data that can be held by governments or or, or public authorities. Um, That doesn't cause any competition concerns, I guess. I suppose it becomes more interesting when we see companies getting involved and trying to build on it. What are your thoughts with regard to that? I mean, we we talk about fair access or access at all. 
and we would have to understand that these gatekeepers are collecting data to an amount which was unimaginable when we had been regulating that roughly 20 years ago. So this new discussion about access, fair access, is an important one. And gatekeepers has a certain social responsibility because they have to share, they have to give access. And I think that's key in terms of uh, a European way of um, presenting access to data and, and a way uh, to get innovation into the European market. Well, this is something that we've talked about a lot because in some ways the US is seen to be charging ahead with a lot of these uh, commercial data practices. Um, Eva, let me bring you in now. How do you see Europe sort of positioned, if you like, on the world stage with regard to using the open data that's available as opposed to maybe the, the commercial data or personal data? Well, so first of all, I think um, what's really important when we speak about um, data and data flows, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a silver bullet just to say uh, we're going to enable those data flows. Um, yes, on one hand, we need to make sure that we have the data sharing culture. But the most important thing, if we really want to lead in Europe, is to make sure uh, that we, um, you know, have the capacity to grasp the insight of the aggregated data. Uh, and I think this is something that we touch upon in the um, data strategy report, but also in the DGA. Uh, we want to enable that. Um, when I was working on the data strategy um, and also, um, as Angelica mentioned, the Data Governance Act, um, what we want to make clear is that we must help the startups, the micro companies, the SMEs in Europe, which are so many, um, access the opportunities that are steaming from the data economy. Um, it is not just enough to basically uh, give them data. And I could make a parallel here with uh, give someone a fishing rod. You know, you need to teach them how to fish. You need to teach them how to use it, reuse the data, how to make sense of that data for their particular industry or sector. Then Europe could lead and excel, um, you know, in, in, in the certain industry where we are already strong, but data could propel those industries and propel the economy. Well, I'm very glad you used the phrase aggregated data because that's what we mean when we talk about big data. And I think a lot of people get confused about the different sorts of data that are out there. So big data is about these big databases, Angelica. And I mean, you need, if you like, a taxonomy to be able to navigate them. There needs to be fields that people can share. So presumably this is quite a challenge if you're asking different member states and different bodies even within member states to come together with that sort of data. Well, that's that's right. Uh, that's, again, an issue we addressed in the Data Governance Act. So we think that, you know, these data intermediaries, these data marketplaces, they should help, you know, uh, companies, undertakings and private persons who'd like to share their data. So they, we need some sort of common approach. We need some sort of, of, of standardization in that respect, you know, of course, allowing for the free flow of data and, and not regulating too much. But in order to help our SMEs, our star startups using the data available, uh, I think we, we, we have to work on that field and for that they need some, some support. Uh, if you allow me just citing uh, one, one uh, research which had been uh, undertaken some weeks ago by the uh, German Industry Association, they said that... Um, Actually, small and medium-sized companies, um, in particular in, in my country, but it's the same in other member states, uh, uh, they, they, they are still reluctant in really uh, data sharing and using data from other, uh, other entities. 
because they are not uh, sure as to whether they really comply with all the uh, GDPR rules. So data protection is an issue for them. They want to uh, comply with the rules, but they are not sure about it. And as, as uh, Eva pointed out, even though, you know, knowing data is available, they do not know how to use it, yeah? what to do, how to aggregate it, how to get value-added value out of, of the data. So I think education is important, access is important, and... Uh, but helping in particular SMEs uh, wherever it's needed so that they can also participate in this data world, uh, which, which we are already in. I won't talk over it. <laughs> Sorry, there's a phone ringing, Ava, in case you can't hear, but it's fine. I think we just caught the end of it. I can edit that out afterwards, <laughs> no problem. Um, and I think mine buzzed as well, but it's at least okay. Uh, so... Christian, let me ask then, is this a matter in some ways of education, of, of telling people that they can get more out of the data they have for these smaller businesses, just since Angelica raised the issue? I mean, if you're honest, it's complex. It has a structural question. I mean, what kind of data? We don't have a global kind of standard for data so far. It's a political problem. We saw in the COVID crisis, for example, that China was sharing the, um, let's say, virological data with Europe and the rest of the world, but they didn't do on the um, epidemiological data because for political reasons, because simply there is a, a state system which didn't want to um, open up in terms of what is actually happening in China because for political reasons they didn't want to inform their population, so they didn't want to share the data. So the question is complex. It has a structural, a structural aspect that is that we need a kind of global data standard. Um, then it's a political one um, globally, and then it's an educational one. So what individuals want to share, um, in to what extent they want to share their data, and then it's with companies. I mean, um, if you look to the big American gaffers, I think it should be um, there should be a mandatory data sharing, and they're not really convinced on that because they're sitting on a mountain of data. They often can't structure so far, but they see that as a asset for the future, and they don't want to share it so far. Well, this is something I know that has come up in relation to competition rules. So we heard uh, Margaret Rastler saying towards towards uh, the end of last year, actually, uh, several years, she's been talking about data as a competition asset. Do you think this is something that's going to change, Christian, in, in coming months or years? Yeah, definitely, because I think we have to understand that um, in innovation won't work otherwise. And that kind of, um, let's say, um, disruptive innovation we're always expecting in terms of climate change and the big global challenges won't happen and won't work if we don't have a different attitude towards sharing data. Well, Eva, staying with this global question, this internationalist angle, um, you know, there's, we, we've mentioned China, we've mentioned the US. I mean, there's other parts of the world who would probably benefit a lot from being able to train their algorithms with European data. And there have been some accusations, usually coming from the US, that the EU is becoming a bit, uh, you know, that we don't want a fortress EU. But when we talk about things like Gaia X or our European cloud, there can be accusations of that sort made. How would you react to that? Um, so, first of all, I think there's two, your question has two aspects. If Europe wants to um, succeed in 
new technologies um, in AI, for example, we have to work with like-minded partners, uh, with partners that we share the same values. Um, and of course, uh, that should be our transatlantic partners. Um, and we have to understand that we cannot do that uh, in some sort of a closed way and, and approach. Um, we have to uh, open up when necessary, communicate with our transatlantic partners, build those systems, value-based systems uh, together, so to say, and kind of set the rules for the rest of the world. I would expect Europe to uh, kind of be at the forefront of that, but alone it will be difficult um, to, 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 to kind of be there. Um, so that's one part of, of, of where we have to aim. Uh, the second part um, is uh, when it comes uh, to the data that is mainly uh, indeed in the hands of some of the digital companies. I think where Europe could become very strong is citizens start trusting their governments uh, and willing to share more data with them. Because nowadays, there's so much data that citizens share um, through their applications or through uh, various platforms uh, that they use, um, which does not necessarily benefit the re resolving these global issues and problems. That could be climate, but it could also be health. So I would like to see more European citizens willing to trust their governments, but also more prepared governments and institutions to know what they could do uh, with the data that they could receive from citizens that would help us fight the next pandemic, um, because this is an imminent problem that is happening today, uh, for example, or could help us, you know, fight the next disease or some of the current diseases um, that, are, uh, that we do not have a cure for. Um, so there we could definitely excel in the long run, uh, but it also requires a change of a mindset um, and a lot of work done by the institutions. Of course, we are paving the way with legislation that is making it easier, but we could see a lot of uh, reasons why it will not be able to work uh, at its most if certain aspects are not there vis-a-vis -vis government, vis-a-vis -vis the way citizens, and of course, vis-a-vis -vis private companies as well. Angelica, you wanted to add something. Well, you mentioned Gaia-X. I think that's really important. So data is one issue, and we're talking about data right now. But on the other hand, I think it's also important that we in Europe uh, have our own infrastructure available. Yeah? Not meaning that it's a closed job, not at all. So uh, open access to everybody, um, interoperability is the key. But I think, you know, for the next generation of, of IT infrastructure to come, so supercomputing, quantum computing, I think it's so important that we are not losing grounds in the European Union. So we are quite well off right now. But, you know, the other regions in the world, in China, in the US, they are heavily uh, investing in these new technologies. And I think we have to also invest a lot. We have to put emphasis not only on opening our data silos and, and, and see how to better uh, uh, aggregate data and use uh, our, the data pools available by data sharing, but we should also you know, have a, a clear view on what we want. So Gaia-X is, a, I think, a good initiative uh, where we should start to build up on our 
our own uh, um, uh, infrastructure, cloud infrastructure. But again, you know, investing in 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 in, in further technologies, it's important. And no one knows what's next. So uh, right now, we are all using mobile uh, uh, devices. So so we lose the watch and the, the the glasses and and the mobile phones and whatever. But what comes next? So I think it's also our our task in the European Union to put money. Uh, into these new developments and to allow for startups, SMEs, people in in the academia to work on that. And, you know, that was, Christian, you you fought so heavily for a, a very prominent Horizon Europe program where we get money, you know, being available for our young, talented people all over Europe to, to use the money to move forward. So, But, but you're better, uh, of, uh, you're, you're in a better position to explain that. I mean, the, the the problem is that we are very happy to regulate in Europe, but we are not so happy to invest in research. And if if you look to the challenges ahead, for example, how data are structured or what, what would be the bias of data by collecting, but also by purpose, um, I think we, we, we tend to over-regulate, which kills innovation. But on the other hand, we have to have a better understanding how um, data is biased or how it's structured. And research can help. So access of, of research to the way we are collecting data is a way to avoid over-regulation, but give us a, gives us an idea what is actually happening. So it's not just about spending money into innovation and new products. It's also a smooth and intelligent way not to kill innovation by regulation. Well, in some respects, where I know in a previous podcast, Ava and I spoke a lot about ethical AI and how to make it human-centric. Um, and a lot of that is sort of born out of people's fears because they don't understand where the data is coming from or how it's being used. And one of the things we came up with, um, and Ava just there mentioned it again, was the areas particularly like health or combating climate change or driving energy efficiency or these sorts of things, where you might encourage citizens to have, if you like, a data donor card where they could say voluntarily an opt-in scheme or an opt-out scheme, as we do with organ donor cards, um, But would you see that as a uh, Angelica as a, as a possible solution to drive innovation? Absolutely, I think it's a good idea. So, and uh, well, I, I always think it's good just to 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 uh, to try things out. You know, if they flow, wonderful. If it's um, if nobody's using it, so then let's let's go for another try. But try and error is the best way to move forward. Okay, now, um, Christian, you brought up the question of biases. Yes, and I want to bring you in, Eva. Yes, if I can, uh, very briefly on uh, data altruism, I think it's a very important point, and it's again also related to, um, of course, educating um, citizens. Um, but I think it's great if Europe can move forward in enabling um, individuals to donate uh, data, um, because I think this could have a very big impact in maybe a couple of years from now, uh, also when the regulation is adopted, because it would in a way give citizens a purpose. They will know uh, actively uh, that data is not taken or used in some way that they do not understand, but they could actively choose for what their data can be used. Um, so it's a good tool that could also have um, a good impact um, but at some point when it reaches, you know, the breaking point, it could even disrupt 
uh, the data market. So it's a, it's a very interesting tool, but it's also related to uh, the change of, of mindset. Um, and I think we all need to be a little bit patient uh, because uh, the amount of the speed with which we generate data today is unprecedented. In the next couple of years, it would be even more fast the way we generate data. And it's so difficult for citizens to understand that. So we need to be a little bit patient, but we need to nevertheless try to uh, educate and speak about what sort of breakthrough developments we could have in innovation and in every sphere of our industry um, if this data, we make sense of it and if we have good quality data that we use. Well, good quality data is very much related to the next question, which was, we've all heard this phrase, garbage in, garbage out. And what we want to create is artificial intelligence, not artificial stupidity or artificial bias. So I wonder, is there an argument to say that um, there maybe needs to be some sort of oversight body? Because some sorts of AI applications could have very profound impacts on people's livelihoods, on whether or not they can get a mortgage and whether or not uh, in the US we've seen the rise of sentencing assistance AIs for, for, for criminal cases. And, you know, we need to protect people's rights within that balance uh, while still saying we want the innovation to be able to maybe approve people faster for insurance or mortgages. Christian, what's your what's your take on that with regard to, you know, you mentioned bias in, in algorithms. I mean, actually, it's it depends on the level of trust people have. And I, I believe in terms of, of personal data, we should be very careful. People and citizens, actually, not just customers, citizens should believe um, that we have a standard on and, and in terms of personal data, which is a meta kind of standard. So a, a kind of metadata, because otherwise they don't trust. And if they got the feeling that they're just consumers and get odd offers or whatsoever by giving away data. Um, and with the aspects you had been uh, referring to, social pension systems, social systems, insurance questions, and so, um, I mean, they have any reason uh, to be worried. And I think if we don't develop a standard that personal data are just transferred or we give access to personal data, if we transform them into metadata, um, we have a problem. And we already have it because, I mean, that really depends on political systems. I mean, if in Iran, for example, on, on, the, on the medical data, women are not allowed to give data to the state. It's their man giving data. So for religious or political reasons, you know, we got the get the wrong bias, and that has much to do with the with the level of trust. And I think in, on personal data, we should develop a standard, a metadata standard, which makes them trust to give data away. Well, then a, a sort of question to all three of you: that what do you think of the Commission's AI approach that's taking a risk-based approach, this pyramid of risks that we've seen? Uh, Angelica, do you think that's sort of I think it's an interesting approach, to be honest. It's not so easy, you know, what are the criteria upon which you, you rely when, when, when you do your risk assessment. But I think we should, well, we should carefully consider which, which path to follow. As, as Christian pointed out, you know, God for, let's go for some sort of soft regulation or soft standardization or however you name it. Or do we go for a sort of monitoring system uh, or do we need even more, you know, um, like we have it with the media, you know, where you have um, 
uh, neutral, independent bodies uh, which have a look on as to whether you have fake news on on, on the media, etc. So it's 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 a tricky, it's a difficult question, I think. But um, well, as uh, as we have already established, uh, the AI uh, committee here in the European Parliament, and I know that in particular Eva is very uh, heavily working on on these topics, uh, and she should come in really in in the discussion. I think uh, let's talk about it. I think the Commission proposal is a good starting point for our discussions but you know taking together all the insights which we ha have had so far in this committee and and uh, uh, coming out from the discussions with the colleagues from so different backgrounds here in the European Parliament from additional uh, national perspectives I think that's really the European Parliament is the ideal place actually to take care of questions like that and we will take our time for I think for finding a good way forward. Well, Eva, it is very early days and I'm putting you in the spot a little bit. I know we, we have probably months and years of arguing and discussing and concerns over we, before we get to a final law. But if you could give me your thoughts anyway on, on this idea of a risk-based approach, particularly with regard to data, because we are talking about data today. Um, so first of all, um, I think if we look at the proposal by the Commission, we need to acknowledge that we are finally moving um, a little bit to more concreteness when we speak about AI. I was always of the opinion that we have not to hurry with that proposal. And I'm glad that it didn't come in the first 100 days and kind of the commission um, uh, took it, its time to come with this proposal. And I think uh, we don't need rushed legislation. Um, I think this has been something uh, that the European Parliament and a lot of stakeholders have been calling for. Uh, and it's not a new concept, uh, the risk-based approach. Um, even before the Commission started drafting, there were a number of stakeholders announcing that they will abide by rules which will make AI more transparent, ethical, uh, and, and safe. Um, I think the high-level expert group has also piloted ethical principles and the big task ahead of us uh, now is to make sure that the AI community in every member state is aware of this regulation. Um, this is a deployment in a way um, on an update on a larger scale, so to speak. So we must have everyone that's concerned on board to help us improve the regulation and most importantly, make it implementable. Um, so I'm glad that the commission, you know, uh, kind of took its time, heard different sides, um, and came up uh, with this proposal. But what is very important is, as you said, Jen, um, we have the special committee on AI. Um, and, you know, this, play, this, this committee is a place where we want to listen to different stakeholders. We want to discuss. We don't want to pre-conclude um, the various discussions that, are, that have been happening on AI uh, previously and that are going to happen uh, in the future. Uh, we want kind of this to be the place, the agora, where we hear different opinions uh, and the parliament is more prepared. There is nothing more important now than policymakers uh, that are in charge of this forward-looking legislation in a way. Uh, one could say, you know, this would take months and years, uh, but still um, it's something that, uh, you know, wasn't around uh, us with the, with the same pace it is today 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so we obviously have to be very careful to get things right in order not to over-regulate, but in the same time make sure that uh, citizens would trust this technology. 
Thank you very much, Ava. I'm going to put one final wrap-up question to you all, and it is a very simple one. It's which area do you have the most high hopes for with regard to AI in the future? Do you think it's going to revolutionise education or healthcare or entertainment or, or, or smart cities? Um, uh, Ava, I'm going to let you go first, actually. Which area do you think AI is going to have the biggest impact that you're most excited about? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I don't know. Um, and one could read a number of different predictions in that area. I think it would very much depend on um, what citizens uh, would want to uh, would want to see um, in terms of improving their their lives and their lifestyle. Where I personally would be very happy to see uh, a breakthrough is in research and development, particularly when it comes to health. Um, when it comes to mobility uh, and when it comes to uh, finding solutions of these global challenges that could be propelled by technological solutions. Well, that's, that's as, cheating, Ava, because that's three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to edit you out after you say health because I want one. Angelica, what would be, uh, what would be your one? Well, breakthrough innovations you cannot predict. That's a, that's a, that's a rule. But uh, well, I, I wish that as regards health data, you know, we we make a big step forward. You know, in collecting and and analyzing and aggregating all the data available in in Europe. I think we would have a uh, that would have a tremendous effort uh, effect on, also on on the health of our people. And uh, well. That would be, you know, for every European, I think it would be good to see that if Europe are closely cooperating in sharing uh, uh, their data, I think that would also be good for the European Union. Christian, your area? I try to give you a reverse answer. I think that without um, AI, we will fail on, on, on climate. Um, because it's so complex to steer these processes and that there's a multiple of reasons and complex interactions we hardly understand now. And to steer that and to have an idea to, to, to stop climate change without AI, it's not going to work. Very good. I've got to give you mine. It's sort of related. I, I would like to see AI used for better land use so that we can grow more food and be more, as they say, resilient and at the same time solve climate change and create better environments for people, which would lead to better health. It's, it's an all-rounder solution. So thank you very much, all of you, for talking to me today. That's it for this episode. But do join me, Jennifer Baker, for the next EPP podcast on the future of artificial intelligence, where I'll be looking at another sphere of our lives where AI can make a difference. Difference. Don't miss it. 